So we're going to be looking um, at Mark, a little bit of Mark chapter 10 together. So let me pray for us as we do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the incredible things that Jesus taught, the things that he said, the person that he was. Thank you, Lord God, that you came and you walked amongst us um, as a human being. You didn't simply send an envoy or send a message or send us a book, but you came and walked with us. And we want to learn from you in the words that you spoke and the things that you did. And we ask that you do that now for us in these few minutes together. Amen. So we're in a bit of a series over these next uh, last few weeks and next few weeks, and we're asking very simply, what does Jesus' teaching, the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did, what do they have to say to us who are living normal, everyday, real lives? Jesus and real life is what we've called the series. And so far, we've looked at ambition. We've looked at work. Um, and last week, I think somewhat to the consternation or concern at the beginning, at least of some of the congregation, we looked at Jesus and shopping. Um, at least one person afterwards said, I was really worried you were going to tell us we weren't allowed to go um, shopping, which wasn't the point at all. Um, but today, I want to stay ahead in a different direction, and particularly a, a very appropriate one to today especially, both in terms of our baptisms, in terms of the sheer number in church today, but also in terms of what we've been praying for just now. I want to ask the question, what did Jesus have to say about children and about childhood. There's been a a great foray um, on the internet the last day or two because somebody has discovered that the NSA, the American National Security Agency, um, has a child-focused website. And on that website, they have a little cartoon character called uh, a turtle, I believe, called T-Top. And uh, T-Top believes that it's cool, spelt apparently K-E-W-L, um, to break codes and talks about how wonderful it is um, by breaking codes how uh, we can keep the world safe and, uh, and uh, America free from its enemies. And of course the furore has come because for some this is nothing better than brainwashing. In fact I saw um, a widely circulated tweet this morning that equated it rather slightly outrageously, I have to say, uh, with the Nazis' use of um, child um, holiday camps to brainwash children. Now, whatever you think about that particular issue, it reminds us that children and how we care for them, and in particular, how we give them a sense of worldview, vision, values, purpose, is incredibly controversial. And it's controversial because we see that children are fundamentally vulnerable. We know that they're vulnerable physically. Hence the, the, the revulsion and the anger and, the, and the, the intensity of our feeling when a child is abused. We know that they're vulnerable emotionally. We know that they're vulnerable uh, intellectually. And so we fear brainwashing. Uh, we fear those who would abuse their power over children. And, and our really strong gut instinct is to, is to protect them. Not just our own children, but children in general. We know that they're vulnerable. And it's very interesting that we live in a a particular culture that at the same time is being perhaps more aware of the vulnerability of children than any other generation that's gone before. Certainly more aware of the the abuse that happens behind closed doors, sometimes by our most trusted institutions and most trusted people. At the same time as being so aware of the vulnerability of children, we are also a culture that has gung-ho been determined to give children as much autonomy as we can. The autonomy in school of setting standards, peer review, peer marking, uh, uh, level setting, 
the autonomy of a TV in their own room, or their own internet device, the autonomy of choosing how they spend their own money, or the autonomy of choosing how they spend their own time, the, the, the awkwardness of a parent of feeling that one tells one's child to do anything, because actually in our culture we want to say, well, we don't want to be heavily down on children. We want them to have their own life and their own autonomy. So it seems to me that at this particular moment, in our particular culture, we're torn in two. On the one hand, acutely aware of the vulnerability of children and our desperation to keep them safe. And at the same time, feeling that we must keep children free, autonomous. Give them their freedom. What did Jesus have to say about children, towards children, about childhood, about parenting, about family life? Well, I want to take us back to a very simple, I think incredibly powerful story in Mark's Gospel, page 1014. And I I guess a health warning before we head into it, and that is simply the same thing I've said every time I've preached in this series so far, but I'm going to say it again just to make sure we've really heard it. And that is this, that we come to the Gospels, we come to any of the Bible with our own questions and find if we're if we're actually looking and listening carefully, that Jesus doesn't answer the questions that we want him to answer. At least he doesn't answer them on our terms. Jesus is speaking into a first century Galilean culture. He's not speaking into 21st century um, Great Britain. I'm coming to him with my questions that are informed by the NSA or by abuse scandals or by um, uh, um, TVs and and, um, smartphones. He's speaking to a different culture at a different time. So we're not going to Jesus and saying, give us a blueprint for how to be a parent, or give us a blueprint for how we as a church should look after our children, or give us a blueprint for how much autonomy children should have. What we're asking is, can we see in the things that Jesus does as God made flesh, and in the things that Jesus says as God speaking to us, can we see the core principles on which we can base our decisions, our care for and love for children? So, page 1014, a very well-known story, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, actually, it shouldn't have surprised the disciples that Jesus' attitude to children was one of tenderness and of love and compassion. It shouldn't have actually surprised them that he wanted them to be allowed to come towards him. Literally, just the chapter before in Mark's Gospel, on the same page, you'll find that Jesus reserves almost the harshest language he ever uses about anything for those who would damage children. Verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. The page before that, page 1013, under the heading, Who is Greatest? Uh, He knows his disciples are arguing about who should be the leader, who should be the greatest, who should have the greatest power amongst them. And Jesus um, says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me 
does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. It's very clear that Jesus uh, wasn't somehow naive about the vulnerability of children. It's very clear throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, in Paul's letters to the churches, um, go back into the Old Testament, look at the rules there, that adults were given a divine mandate and responsibility to care for all of those who are vulnerable, for all of those who are in need, and especially for the youngest and the, the most vulnerable. It is right, actually, that there should be a white, hot, righteous indignation and anger at those who cause harm, mental, physical, emotional, to the least, the most vulnerable amongst us. And yet, there's something else here in this particular passage that we read that shows that Jesus goes far beyond simply saying, keep them safe, keep them over here, if you like, in a a sort of cotton-wool-filled bubble and don't let them out. Because Jesus speaks of them as being exactly the type of person to whom the kingdom of God belongs. Now, let's just back up a little bit and talk about that language of the kingdom of God. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's his code phrase, if you like, for speaking about what life looks like when we let God, who is in charge, be in charge. The kingdom of God is what it looks like when God is allowed to be king in the life of an individual, the life of a household, the life of a community, and in the world as a whole. In Jesus' time, there was a belief that one day God would return and would come as king and would sort out everything. Wars would cease, injustice would cease, this sense of um, gap and distance from God would cease. God would sit on his rightful throne. And all things would be put right. And Jesus astonished his hearers by saying, yes, that is coming. But right here, right now, in me, the kingdom of God is already here. In other words, he says, the king himself is walking amongst you. And if you choose to be a follower of this king, King Jesus, you get to enjoy what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. Now, I guess that the language of kingship and of being under leadership has got a bad press. We like our freedoms, we like our autonomy, that's why we want to give it to the most precious amongst us, our children. And actually we know that being under the right leadership keeps us safe. We know that in the right context, whether it's playing a game of sport, we need to play by the rules, whether it's being in a a battalion of soldiers and needing to follow a commanding officer, Uh, whether it's simply working as part of a team and needing to follow a leader, there is something incredibly important about following the rightful leader, not a usurper, and not simply allowing anarchy. And what Jesus came to say was, human beings have been made to be in a love relationship with their king, the one who made them, the one who designed them to live that way. We much prefer to turn our backs on God and say, I'm not interested, I'm going to do things my own way. And Jesus was saying, that's the reason. The world is such a mess. Because we each choose to do our own thing. We each choose to turn our backs on God. We choose that we will make ourselves king, ourselves queen. And God, well, we're not interested. So, the question then arose, well, who gets to belong? Who gets to be part of this kingdom? Who gets to show that they're they're doing things right? And in Jesus' day and in our day, the temptation was for those who were religious, those who felt they were living a good life, those who thought a bit of themselves to think, well, it's me, isn't it? I'm in the right. I pray. 
I go to church. I'm a good person. I give money to the poor. I'm known as being a, a morally upright human being. God must think pretty much of me. I'm okay. In other words, there was a sort of hierarchy. And in Jesus' day, the hierarchy went like this. Right at the top were the priests. And you had to be male and a Jew and educated to be one of the priests. Right down the bottom were women and children. They weren't educated in those days. They couldn't be priests. And actually, if you were not a Jew and you were a Gentile, you were even further down the pile. So what does Jesus do? Well, when these parents, but almost certainly when these mums bring their children to Jesus, when he's teaching almost certainly a bunch of adult men, and the disciples go, listen, I can sort of imagine, listen, dear, come back later when Jesus has got a bit of time for something less important. That's the sort of feel you get. You know, here's Jesus teaching the important people about important stuff. You know, it's all very nice, but, you know, bring them back later. Jesus is cross, is the impression that you get. He doesn't like that at all. He says, no, you've got it wrong. Bring them through. And as he brings them through, what he says to them is, look at this. This child that I'm holding, this child who can't do anything for God, who may be too young to pray, who may be too young to read their Torah, the Bible, may be too young to go to the synagogue or go to the temple, may be too young to give away money or do good works, this child to them and to people like them, belongs the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not something we earn, it's a gift. It's about needing to come to God humbly, in need, dependent on him. In other words, Jesus sees children as, yes, vulnerable, to be cared for, but not on the outside looking in on an adult world. Maybe in modern language, Jesus would say something like this to us as a church. Children are not somehow the church of the future. Doing a little bit of playing out there while we do our important stuff in here. To such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Because you get to belong to God's people, not by dint of what you've done for him, but by dint of what God has done for you. That's the way around it goes in the kingdom of God. The gift, the call to belong, is a call that's given to all. And it's actually really hard for us to receive it as an adult. You think, I've done all right. I'm a nice person. God must want something from me. He, 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 you know, he can't just go loving me. He, surely I've got to do something for him first. And here's the crucial thing, and I think this is, this is really where Jesus wants them to, to, to understand The crucial thing about the child is that a child, when they're brought up in that right environment, we'll come back to that in a moment, a child we know, we're hoping, we're longing, will learn from the youngest age that they can be, in fact they're meant to be, that it's okay to be dependent on those who have shown them love. A child is meant to learn from their first few seconds of life that they are loved, that they are precious, that they are cared for. And as a parent, honestly, all you want from them is to love you back. You don't say to them, I'll love you a bit more when you love me. You don't say to your child, you know, I I, I do love you most of the time. I don't love you when you're naughty. 
You, you don't say to them, do you know, I, I do love you, but actually if you don't pass your exams, forget it. Might say I'm going to be cross. Might say I'm going to be disappointed. But we know at a gut level, that's not the way love works. It's not the way being a parent works. And it's certainly not the way that God works. You see, Jesus, with this child in his arms, looked at this child in their vulnerability and in their trusting dependence and said, this is it. This is the DNA that runs through the heart of the universe. This is the way that spiritual, ultimate reality works. It's meant to work like this. It is meant to be that you and I find ourselves loved by God. Loved without ceasing. Loved beyond measure. Loved beyond anything we can know. And therefore called to love God back. That's why Jesus takes a child. Because actually the child is the best example of dependent love that he can get. That's why we baptise children as much as anything else, because actually, as I... Poor, poor Dougie. You know, he didn't want water poured over his head. I don't blame him. And he couldn't do anything about it, I'm afraid. It was just going to happen. He was there in my arms. He hadn't done anything for me. He hadn't done anything for God. And all he did for his mum and dad was simply to be. That itself was a gift of life to him. It's a wonderful picture language of what grace, God acting first, God loving us first, God in Jesus doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Loving you first so that you can love him back. So, what does that have to say to us? It has to say to us first, as parents, for those of you who are here today, That our most important role, alongside, yes, I hope and pray, teaching, if you like, the facts of the faith and teaching the Bible stories, actually, before any of that, more important than all of that, is that our children should know what it is to be loved unconditionally and to learn that the most important reality at the heart of the universe is that we are loved and that we are called to love back. How hard it is for an adult who as a child was not loved that way, to ever believe that God loves them, to ever believe that they're not having to somehow earn God's approval, that God isn't waiting there with a big stick and bang, something bad happens to you, and you think, what have I done? I must have done something bad to God. It's not the way spiritual reality works. The reality at the heart of the universe is as it should be for a child. You are loved beyond measure before you've ever done anything for God. That's what Jesus was on about. That's the most important thing. You may, as long, maybe it's just me, but I think most of us as parents spend an awful lot of our time feeling utterly inadequate. doesn't matter how many books you read, how many courses you go to, how many other parents you ask. The fact is, parenting is incredibly hard. Heartbreakingly hard. Incredibly hard work. But glorious. Because actually we know, fundamentally, that the most important thing we have to do is to show the love that we have discovered in God for our children. We love them. We hope they'll love us back. But we go on loving them anyway. That's the first thing for us as parents. But the second thing for us as a church is not to imagine that the role of the church is to bring children to faith. Even if your child comes every single week and comes to children's groups every single week, they spend maybe 40 minutes in there I hope they're having a fabulous time. I hope they want to come back next week. I hope they want to come back the week after. But that's one little bit of their week. They spend far longer being brought up by you or by me. That's where they're going to learn the spiritual reality at the heart of the universe. And whatever else we might do in our children's groups, which I hope 
We're teaching them about God. I hope we're giving them experience of belonging to God's people. I hope we're giving them some fun. I hope they're feeling loved and, and they're meant to be here. But actually, the most important thing for them is what they're learning at home. And that's why, actually, when we do baptisms, we actually spend a lot of time talking to the parents, the godparents. And we say to them, you as the community that are going to bring up these children beyond Sundays, will you love them? Will you walk with them in the way of Christ? But for all of us, whether you're a parent or not, whether you're a children's group leader or not, whether this is your church or not, here's the most important thing. And it's simply this, that if you want to know what God thinks of you, imagine the most perfect mum or dad. And then take it on and on and on. And if you want to know what God wants from you in this life, imagine what the most perfect parent wants from their child. That's what Jesus is saying. God has already done for you in Jesus what you cannot do for yourself. Jesus came and lived for you and died for you and rose again to bring you new life. He loves you. It's done. You can't make him unlove you. He simply wants you to love him back with the words that you speak, the things that you do, the person that you're becoming. That is the reality at the heart of the universe. That's what life is about. Life as a child, life as an adult. It is glorious chaos here in All Souls some Sunday mornings. There are children everywhere. And sometimes, some of us feel a little bit, you know. But there is an energy and a life and a joy, sometimes, in children, that we want to learn from. And most importantly, there is, in their good moments, a dependent, loving backness in children that Jesus says, look there. That's what it's about. Live that way, and then you'll get it right. Let me pray for us as we finish. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of children to our community, to this church, to our families, to our world. Thank you for that new life that you pour into a world that feels broken and and at times hopeless. Thank you for that trusting dependence that children show us. Thank you that we know at a gut level what it sort of must mean and feel like to be that perfect parent, even if we can't do it ourselves. And most of all, Lord Jesus, we thank you for taking a child and blessing them and using them as an example of what it means to be loved and to love back. Help us to be like that. And Help us as adults in our communities and in this church to love and care for our children that way, that they would find themselves loved by you and love you back with the whole of their lives. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.